Welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. We're here to bring you helpful information from leading experts and give you effective tools and support. I'm Jason Grigla, a licensed counselor and founder of Techie for Life, a specialized mentoring program for neurodiverse young adults. And I'm Debbie Grigla, a certified life coach. And maybe most importantly, we're also parents to our own atypical young adults. Friends, hello, welcome. Today, I want to talk to you about building resilience. I know this is on a lot of your minds, and it's something that our neurodiverse children, teens, and young adults really struggle with, and it affects their progress and their development. And so I want to talk to you about some things to be aware of and tools to to help you be able to support the building of resilience. So I looked looked it up on Google and resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. It's toughness. And more specifically, mental resilience is the ability to successfully adapt to stressors, to maintain psychological well-being in face of adversity, and the ability to bounce back from difficult experiences. So I thought that was really interesting that it's actually an ability. It's not something that's innate. It's something that, which implies that we, it's something you can develop. And it's about adapting, right? So there's many, many stressors that we experience in life and being able to successfully adapt to those stressors means that you're maintaining psychological well-being and you're able to bounce back when you have a difficult experience and be able to recover quickly. And this is a real challenge for a lot of our neurodiverse kiddos. I also found a list of signs of poor resilience. And I think this is also really telling. It listed things like irritability and overreaction. So someone that has poor resilience that isn't bouncing back, um, is, is going to be more irritable and they're going to overreact to smaller things. Um, that might be why you are surprised when you get like a bigger reaction to something that you weren't expecting. Um, another sign of poor resilience is dwelling on problems. So this is very common to see where they will perseverate, someone will perseverate on a problem and spin on it over and over and really dwell on it and kind of get stuck in it. Another sign of poor resilience, which I thought was interesting, was trouble sleeping, which makes sense. If you're not able to bounce back and you're struggling with something, if you've got stressors, then you're also probably going to have trouble sleeping. And when you have trouble sleeping, it probably contributes to not having resilience and being able to bounce back. So kind of a chicken before the egg situation on that one maybe, but definitely a sign of poor resilience if someone's having trouble sleeping, which is a really common problem, especially with our autistic and, and um, people with ADHD. Persistent illness is a sign of poor resilience. And this actually is pretty common too, because when there's um, mental, like psychological stresses happening, um, that does affect your body and you're not going to be, you're not going to have as robust of an immune system if you've got 
a lot of emotional stress happening. And so you're going to see persistent illness. And we do see that with students. I'll notice at our school, Techie for Life, there'll be students that, that are sick a lot, right? As And, and it, it tends to correlate with their emotional struggles. But then as they start to be more successful and, and um, kind of get unstuck and get some forward momentum, you, you start noticing that they're not as sick as often. They're, they've got more um, resilience that way. And then another sign of poor resilience is your buffering behaviors. So the overeating or over gaming or over screen timing. And yeah, I'm making that a word now, over screen timing. Um, but when you're seeing buffers being overused, like outside behaviors, processes to try to feel better, that's a real sign of um, poor resilience and, and someone looking to those things to try to cope and deal with things. And the studies show that neurodivergent children, teens, and young adults, for example, like autistics or those with ADHD, they are more prone to feeling stress than their neurotypical peers when faced with similar events or circumstances. And while that innate sensitivity can be a strength in some situations, it can also lead to overwhelm and difficulty coping. And so we really want to be aware of that. I know logically we think it, but when we're in the moment, sometimes as a parent or a mentor, um, it can be challenging to recognize that this thing that might not stress me out is adding a lot of stress for someone that's neurodivergent. So we have different things that stress us. And we want to be able to acknowledge that and be aware of that, that similar events can be much more stressful for someone that's neurodivergent and affect their ability and their resilience, their ability to bounce back and, and keep going. So resilience is clearly a valuable life skill to develop. Um, it serves us well. That ability to bounce back, to maintain psychological well-being in the presence of stressors. So this is something that we want to support and help and mentor and teach and model for our neurodivergent kiddos. At Techie for Life, our school, where we work with neurodivergent young adults and help them with their educational and career paths, their next steps, we do several things and we do them very intentionally to help build our students' resilience. For example, we they have a regular exercise schedule and they all go and exercise either at the gym or they'll go on a hike or a walk or they'll do some kind of activity like swimming or playing pickleball. That's super popular here in Southern Utah is pickleball. But they'll get exercise and exercise helps them develop resilience to be able to physically challenge your body and work through the stressors of exercise and get good at that skill. We also hold them accountable to a schedule. We have a structured schedule where they're attending life skill classes and they're exercising and they're, they've got focus time where they're working on educational or career pursuits. And that practice of showing up each day builds resilience and it can be really challenging, especially when students first come into our program. Another thing that we do to help them build resilience is we work really hard to, and we really invest in a positive peer culture and community for our students so that they're not alone in their adulting journey. And 
that connection with others studies show when you're when you when you have strong connections with others that that our brains like our bodies release oxytocin which calms our minds and reduces stress and helps us be more resilient having that connection built in helps them build resilience getting peer support giving peer support they're engaging in these kinds of things that help them be more resilient and part of that community and culture is having other role models other students who are doing it who have been in a struggling place and now are coming out of that and are succeeding and having those examples and so we, so a student can think gosh if they can do it maybe i can too that helps us be resilient and have hope the other thing that we do is that we don't we we don't immediately just jump in and fix things or rescue our students we give them a little bit of chance to and time to kind of struggle and figure it out um, and work through it a little bit on their own and then maybe even push to advocate for themselves more for help and support but we don't just immediately jump in and rescue we want to give them a little bit of space to to be in that struggle and if you notice each one of those things that i just mentioned there's many more but those those main ones that we do intentionally none of these things are comfortable all of these things stretch our students exercise is a big stretch for some literally and figuratively um, is a big stretch for them right to to engage in exercise um, is is challenging and it, it takes work and it's uncomfortable right being held to a schedule is uncomfortable being part of a positive peer, peer culture even if you are for students that are extroverted and really social our neurodivergent students aren't often great at being part of a, a peer group and, and a social environment and being able to navigate that well. And so that's a stretch to even just be a part of it, even though it is something that helps them build resilience, just the act of being part of a peer culture really can stretch them and be uncomfortable, right? Not having someone just immediately jump and fix your problems, that's really uncomfortable. We actually are willingly and daily choosing to get our students out of their comfort zones. Okay, but not to the point of overwhelm. We don't want them to be so out of their comfort zone that they're just completely overwhelmed and shut down. But we are getting them out of a comfort zone, which is a really nice way to say we get them into, a, into healthy discomfort. And we want to get them into healthy discomfort so that they can actually develop and make progress in their adulting process. So to do that, to be in that environment means that we have to be able to tolerate their discomfort and know that they're not comfortable and be, be aware of that discomfort that they're experiencing. And so the same goes for you if you're a parent or a mentor. If you want to support your son or daughter's development, support their grow, like practice and growth in resilience, which is going to serve them very well in life, you're also looking at getting more comfortable with their discomfort. It means practicing maintaining your psychological well-being in the face of your child's adversity and their discomfort okay so in other words it's building your parental resilience 
And I want you to think about what kinds of discomfort your child, teen, or young adult, what kinds of discomfort are hardest for you to tolerate? And be aware of of which areas are harder for you to tolerate. Now, this is not to say to be insensitive to their discomfort or callous or cold or dismissive. I'm actually asking you and encouraging you to do quite the opposite of that. It's to actually empathize with them and see them and be with them in their discomfort. And that looks like when you can actually tolerate and connect with their discomfort, sit with them in it, like be with them in it, help them or be with them as they um, explore their own solutions and maybe add input to that process, but be with them in it. That is where resilience and development happen best for our neurodivergent kiddos is when someone's with them in that struggle. It, we being willing to sit with them in their discomfort adds resilience, helps them have more resilience as they're in it and as they're developing the skills to, to cope and work through and deal with the stressors in their lives. When we as parents or mentors can't tolerate their discomfort, and we freak out or we rescue or we just jump in and do it for them, we're taking and removing opportunities for them to develop and and learn resilience for the next stressor that comes, right? And if we just refuse to tolerate, like we just won't tolerate or can't tolerate their discomfort, a lot of times either if we're not jumping and rescuing, we're doing the opposite. We're doing nothing. Like we just avoid it, ignore it, and don't step in. And and the problem with that also is that we're not modeling. We're not helping them cope. We're not teaching them skills. We're not helping them find healthy coping skills, right? They're, they're just going to go find unhealthy coping if there isn't someone to help model and teach it. And so that sweet spot is where we're willing to go in, lean into the discomfort with them and connect with them with the experience that they're having. So our goal isn't to take away the discomfort. Our goal is actually to be with them in the discomfort as they're uncomfortable, as they're growing and stretching, as they're managing themselves through the stressors of life. So what can you do when they're in that discomfort? What does it look like to actually be with them in their discomfort? It's not be tough. It's not ignore it. Then what is it? It's actually go there, but don't immediately fix it. It's, it looks like holding safe space for them. And safe space for our kiddos really looks like a judgment-free zone. It means I show up, I go in, I'm with them, in it with curiosity and compassion for what they're experiencing. I'm not rushing in to fix it. I'm not trying to get away from it. I'm just acknowledging their discomfort and I'm holding belief for them in their ability to be able to handle things. Like I'm holding some space and some belief that they are going to be able to work through this. Even if I do step in and help some, I'm holding some belief in their ability to join in in that process. Another way that you can be with them in it, but not fixing it, but helping them in it, is 
to really tap into their higher self, like tap into those parts of them that want to grow and progress and want to, to do things in the world and, and want to be of value, tapping into that, reminding them that, that, and speaking to that, that can really help them push through and keep going. Another thing that really works well when we're in that space is humor. Humor works great here. Lightening things up, laughing about it, helping them be flexible and see that there's many different ways to do it, even comical ones or exaggerated ones, like to just find the humor in it. Um, when we're heavy and serious about things and we make things really intense and worrisome, it just depletes resilience. It exhausts people. It exhausts us as a parent and it exhausts our kiddo. So being able to lighten things up, even when we're in the discomfort and even when things are hard, can can just be such a great way to cope and, and be resilient through it and be able to bounce back. Our brains have this tendency to worry about like what all this means for them and, and oh no, they're struggling and, and what is this going to mean for the future? And our mom brains, our dad brains, we have this tendency sometimes to catastrophize and go to like worst case scenarios and think about all of the possible reasons why this is actually really a big problem and will create lots of pain. And I want to encourage you to stay focused on what's right in front of you when you have that person you love struggling and just kind of gently redirect your mind to the here and now to what's right in front of you. And remember that this is just one little piece, one little moment of a much bigger picture. And trust yourself that you'll be able to figure out and handle the future stuff when you get there, right? But bring your focus in and your energy for being able to be in that discomfort with your kiddo as they're trying to work through stuff. As you do this, as you practice getting comfortable with their discomfort, your parental resilience will expand greatly. And as you do that, you help model and the kiddo that you love, their resilience is going to expand. And they're going to get more confidence and competency at handling the inevitable stressors that come. And that is great work to do. And it is well worth the effort to to be in that. Some food for thought with resilience. Think about those areas that are really hard to tolerate for you and kind of look at those and see if you can't be able to get a little better at tolerating their discomfort in those areas and actually being able to show up in a way that supports them being able to work through those stressors and that discomfort and build necessary skills. And the fact of the matter is there's always going to be discomforts. That's just part of life and part of growth. So the better we get at being able to tolerate discomfort, the more growth, the more um, development we're going to find in our kiddos and in ourselves. I hope you have an amazing week. I hope it's not just all discomfort, but that you can handle the discomfort, um, practice handling a little better, and we'll talk to you next time. Take care. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Autism and Neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie. If you want to learn more about our work, come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E.com. E.com.